Hello, you're listening to the Poshcore Podcast. I'm Alan Toth. It's just me this week. Sakura is planning her tour of Morocco and also directing a concert for some of her students this summer. So she'll be back in a couple months. The theme for today's episode is frustration. Our first story comes from a volunteer who served in Jordan in 2001. Jessica's story is not your typical Peace Corps promotional material, but her story is incredibly important because there are very few forums for returned volunteers who have conflicted feelings regarding their country of service. Jessica Denisi was inspired to join Peace Corps after studying abroad in Jerusalem. She arrived in Jordan as a Peace Corps volunteer in the summer of 2001. Yeah, I, um, you know, you did like the whole study abroad thing, so I did the whole study abroad thing, and that was just such a great experience, and I did that in Jerusalem, and so I had, um, wanted to do something in the Arab world. I kind of wanted to get the other side of the story. And I, I, I'm not sure how easy it is to request what you want with the Peace Corps, but if you say you want that, they're definitely on board with you doing that. <laughs> so. And when you first arrived in Jordan, what was, your, what was your first thought when you first arrived there? Oh, well, I, it's not, I don't know. And I'm not sure that's a good story. I mean, it was nighttime, we were tired. You know, they just drove us to the hotel. That was kind of, that was kind of it. It wasn't, it wasn't shocking or anything. And Jordan is pretty well developed, so it wasn't, I don't know. There was no big overwhelming surprise at anything, I suppose. And your pre-service training was probably learning Arabic? Mm-hmm. And they just, like, some cultural awareness kind of things, too. I, I, th- I think the really important stuff for Jordan was, um, you know, I mean, you're used to interacting with people from, of different sexes, just like you're equal, and that's a normal interaction, and it's really not okay to speak to men on the streets in the same way or to assume that men are going to treat you the same way. Um, so I don't know, for a woman, I think that was the big thing, that your, your, your gender was going to have a big impact on what your experience was going to be. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell me the story of what happened uh, on 9-11 while you were there. Um, yeah, so we'd been with the we got there on July 5th or 6th of 2001, and so we had training, and we were all staying with the host families, and so the day before swearing in, I guess actually the day before swearing in was September 11th, um, so we all left the host families, and we kind of came to this hotel in Manaba in this Christian city, and you know, we were all excited to leave our host families, and um, so we were all, and you can drink in... Um, mad about because it, it was a Christian town. So we'd all gotten to the hotel and we were all going out to this restaurant that we liked that had like, you know, really good hummus and they had beer and so we were all excited and literally, literally someone was in the lobby watching CNN, I guess, as it turned out and they had the footage of the planes and everyone's cell phone went off at the same time and um, it was, you know, I don't know, it was the Peace Corps saying like, you guys have to come, you have to come back. Like it wasn't a movie, like you have to come back. Um, and so we actually just stayed in this hotel, and they wouldn't let us leave for about a week, which was kind of weird until they figured out what the situation was and whether or not it was safe for anybody to go to their sites. How did you feel being in an Islamic country during that time? You know, scared, but I think, I, I mean, I honestly, I, I believe that not 
probably being in the U.S. and having that experience that everyone had about it being, you know, a, a Muslim thing going on made it better. Because that wasn't, that's not what we got. I mean, we knew that there had been an attack and we knew that it had been, you know, an Islamic terrorist kind of situation. But, but I think there's a whole gestalt around that that happened here that we didn't really get. So I think it was probably less terrifying in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I guess it, it minimized it to a degree, oddly enough. And then so after that week, did you go off to your site for the first time? Yeah, and that was strange too because I think that you're nervous going off to your site anyway. And, and I think this event happening, I think, compounded it at the same time. But I think it's also, it made it easier to be afraid or to feel like it wasn't okay to go or that it needed to be postponed. I mean, I think it gave a real tangible... I don't know, it gave a reason, I think, for you to be scared, when I think you would have been scared anyway. Jessica was placed in the town of Azraq in eastern Jordan. Azraq was once the site of a natural oasis. During the Arab Revolt, Azraq was used as a headquarters by T.E. Lawrence. When you think back to your site, what's the one thing you find yourself thinking back to more than anything else? Um, the woman that was my counterpart, I was just, I was really close to. She was a really interesting kind of person. I think that's what I remember the best. Her name was Simiha. She had, um, she was married unhappily. She had two kids. She was a teacher at the school. So I was a teacher at the school. That was my thing. So in Jordan, they actually only had community development and teaching English. I, I guess I was under the impression that in other countries they had sort of other options. Um, but that's what you did there. So I was a teacher at the girls' school in Azraq. So I was wondering if you, could, if you could talk a little bit about the special challenges for Peace Corps volunteers in Jordan. I think if you were a woman, the biggest challenge was being a woman. Um, it's not a good place to be a woman. It's not necessarily a safe place to be a woman. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. That was the biggest challenge. And I think probably particularly during that post, that very immediate post 9-11, it was not necessarily a great place to be um, American either. Um, so, you know, there were kids that, you know, wanted to be Osama bin Laden, and they would say that, and that's not that. That wasn't particularly fun to deal with. But um, the level of harassment or groping or that kind of thing, I think that was the hardest thing by far, not really feeling secure or safe in your person walking around or even being in your house at night it was really bothersome. I had trouble sleeping for like years afterwards actually. Yeah, I think that that's it. Or just, I, I mean they weren't, I, I don't know that I felt like the Peace Corps was particularly upfront about what they were, what the situation was going to be. I don't know that they'd fully embraced what the situation was or how bad the harassment was, that kind of thing. Do you think the harassment is worse because Peace Corps volunteers are foreign? Like, obviously foreign? Yes, I do. There is, uh, I don't know, a particular, um, at least in Jordan, a particular a particular stereotype, I guess, about Western women. You know, they're easy or, or, or whatever whatever it is. Um, I think a lot of the, the, volunteers, the female volunteers, at least, that were in the South, um, really, I mean, they started covering their hair. Um, they started covering more from head to toe, just because... Um, people threw rocks at them, things like that. Did you know anybody where something like that happened to them? People threw rocks at them, yeah, yeah. 
Why, why, why would that happen? They were women, they were American, the kids were bored. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, the rock throwing thing was fairly common. That wasn't, that wasn't an aberration. I mean, that, that happened a lot to people. So if you were speaking to someone, if, if I told you I've joined Peace Corps, I'm going to Jordan, what advice would you have for me? Um, I guess I think a lot of people go into the Peace Corps because they think that they're going to help someone. And I don't know that that opportunity is really available in Jordan. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's a universal Peace Corps experience to be somewhere where a lot of times your situation is that the people that you're around don't particularly like you for nothing that has to do with you but just because of where you come from. Um, I think that was really disappointing. It wasn't my experience because of where I was, but I remember everyone talking about being really disappointed about that, that they just weren't expecting people to hate them. Um, and they did. And it wasn't because of anything they did, it was just because of where they came from. Um, I, working in a girls school, I thought that was really hard. Um, Jordan, so I mean the little girls aren't, or not just the girls in general, I mean the boys can go out a lot more and the girls kind of stay home. So you have actually a ridiculously intelligent, well-educated female population. Um, and that was really hard because these girls are talking about whatever and I mean, they're not going to get to do any of it. And that's, that's sad and that's hard. And there's nothing that anything, there's nothing that anybody in the Peace Corps can really do about that. And that's, that's upsetting. You can teach them English and you can help them to grow and whatever. But um, the truth is they are just going to get married off to whoever. And I don't know. Do you think your presence there maybe might have been inspiring to the girls? Um, I, I, you know, I think in a perfect world it would be inspiring. I'm not so sure that anyone has any clout to determine what they want to do, so that being inspired by anything is helpful. I, I actually, I was, it was kind of a debate for me. I don't, she sounds really awful now saying it. Um, what I wanted to tell girls, like, uh, you know, do I say this because it's going to be motivating or is it just cruel to say that I get to do all these things because you're not going to get to do them? I don't, I don't, I don't know. You were saying that after studying abroad in Jerusalem, you were sort of inspired to go to the Arab world. How did your perception change? Of the Arab world? I'm not sure that my perception changed. Um, I just, you know, Arabs kind of get a bad rap, and I kind of didn't believe that that could possibly be the situation. And <laughs> I, this is terrible. I, I don't know that I came away with a better impression, uh, actually. Um, I, there's a hell of a lot of sexual discrimination um, there's a lot of harassment, there's a lot of corruption, there's a lot of unhappy people, um, there's a lot of hate. I mean, I, I, so I guess actually I would say that more than anything else I was disappointed. I was expecting to come away with the feeling that there was something beautiful that I was missing and I guess that I felt more like, I don't know, disenchanted with that. There were beautiful things and there were beautiful people, but um, 
It didn't fall in love with the culture or feel like there was an overwhelming redeeming quality about the culture or anything like that. Um, what do you... Which I feel actually feel really badly about, in fact. When you say there are beautiful things there or beautiful people there, could, could you describe that a little bit? Um, yeah, there's a real... There's a hospitality thing. They want to take you in... Um, they want to feed you. They want to give you tea. I mean, they want it. They want you. Just, they want to take care of you, and they want you to think it's a beautiful place, and that's really amazing. Um, and there were families that I was a part of, or that took me in, that I saw the interaction between the father, the man, the husband, and his family. That seemed really great to me. Like that, he seemed like a really good guy. Um, but there were a lot of families where that wasn't true. And maybe that's I'm just probably true anywhere. Um, so, I don't know. Do you find yourself missing Jordan at all? No. Never. Ever. Do you think that's common? Yes. I do. So, you were saying that the main reason for volunteers to be in Jordan is to give people a different idea about Americans. Do you think most volunteers are successful in that? I do. Um, I think um, for a lot of people and for a lot of the counterparts, it was the first time they'd ever met an American, and I think, don't think that they expected them to be um, interested in them or kind or nice or respectful or a lot of things. I mean, there's a lot of um, propaganda, or there was a lot of propaganda 10 years ago. Um, and I, I do think Peace Corps probably does pretty, I think the Peace Corps does a remarkable job, actually, of, of taking care of that. And it probably actually, I mean, you know, you take that back, too. You know, I mean, on an individual level, there's lots of connections, and I think you can come back and talk about that. How do you think that you changed personally after serving in Jordan? So it's weird, because on one hand I'm telling you that I wouldn't go back, and then I have all these negative feelings, but I mean, at the same time, it drives me nuts when I hear anybody say anything bad about a Muslim person or an Arab person. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that everyone's not like that, that it's a stereotype, that maybe it's true in a large degree, to you know, in large groups, but individually everyone is really, I don't know, good, or seems to be good, or, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's a pretty, it's a pretty big conflict, actually. I mean, it's an internal conflict for me. It's, you know, and, and it was like so. This was ten years ago, so it's funny because now, I mean, still, you know, Arabs, Muslims. I mean, this is all over the news. I mean, this is not something that anybody's really in love with right now at all. And so, it's not uncommon to hear people say things. Um, I don't know. And yeah, people that I know or people that I'm close to. Well, I don't know say something about Arabs or say something about Muslims or some sort of slur or, you know, ISIS, and it's all wrapped up into one thing, and I don't know. So it's good. I mean, at least that there's someone there to tell them that, that they're lumping people together. They don't necessarily need to be lumped together. So you do think that it's good for volunteers to be in Jordan? I think it is good for volunteers to be in Jordan. I think it's good for volunteers to be in the Middle East. I think the Middle East needs to know what Americans probably really are like. Um, I just hope it's not unsafe for people to be doing that now. I'm not sure. What can volunteers who serve in Jordan take away from that experience? What What is the benefit to them? I, you know, I think I think that you should go into it knowing, or I think I think that I wish I realized that 
what I was going to be doing was just being a face for America and not necessarily doing anything that was really making anyone's life any better. And I'm not sure if maybe that's what the Peace Corps is now, period. And it's romantic to think that it does anything besides that. I mean, that could just be the situation. Um, yeah. Jessica is now an immigration attorney in San Francisco. On March 7, 2015, Peace Corps suspended operations in Jordan due to regional instability. Our next story is from a PCV who served in Ecuador. Connor's story of frustration with public transportation will be familiar to most volunteers. My story, like many good Peace Corps stories, involves revolves around and takes place on a bus. And uh, this bus ride, I, am, I find myself in Cuenca, and I'm going north from Cuenca. If you think of Ecuador uh, as sort of like a diamond, Cuenca is in the south of the city, Quito, where I lived, is in the north, and connecting them is the Andes Mountains. And I'm leaving Cuenca because there's a national holiday going on, and I had gone down a few days early before the rush where everyone in the country tries to find a bus ticket to Cuenca. I had gone down a few days early to hang out with some of my friends. Cuenca's a very western city. You can get micro-brews and drink, uh, you know, drink micro-brews and watch football in English on TV and speak English for a few days, which when you've been living in the Amazon, knowing nothing about what's going on at any time, it's, it's pretty sweet. So I went down there for a couple days and I decided to cut my trip early to meet up with my girlfriend at the time. She was coming south from Quito. I was coming north from Cuenca. We were gonna meet in the middle at this town where there's just nothing going on. And we thought of all the cities in the country, that and Mbato, we could find a ticket from there and go wherever and travel and have fun because she was on break too. So I wake up in the morning, go down to the bus, get my bus ticket, get up onto the bus. Uh, super happy, really looking forward to this. Had a great half week, looking forward to a great next half week. And I go down the aisle and I find my seat and there's someone sitting in my seat. And I think, well, this is actually, this is pretty sweet because I have an aisle seat, but the person sitting in my aisle seat means that I get to sit next to the window. And sitting next to the window on a nine-hour bus ride up through the Amazons at like, or up through the Andes at 10 or 11,000 feet with a bus that's just glass-paned window, it turns into a greenhouse. So if you're sitting next to the window, you can just pop it open. You, you, are, the, you are the master of your domain, that, you know. So I sit down, crack that window, but don't crack. I rip it open, I'm like, yes, air. There's little curtains in between the glass panes and I put all my stuff in there, like really spread out. This is gonna be great. Uh, and we about to pull off, and this woman like basically chases the bus down and gets gets up on the bus, and I'm just like, oh man, she's there's all these empty seats, and she's no, 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 and right in front of me, like, oh excuse me, sir, you're in my seat, and I, you know, I know, I know I'm in your seat, but uh, I've got all this stuff here, and I'm really comfortable. Can we just switch? And no, you, we cannot switch. That's my seat. So <laughs> I get up and like we scoot over, and she sits down in the seat, and I move to the aisle, and first thing is just wham. Bus or window closed, and I think I asked her like, "Hey, would you mind opening the window? I'm I'm really hot." And she goes, "Oh yeah, sure, of course." And opens it like a fraction of an inch, and just and then just settles down. <laughs> it's gonna be one of these bus rides. It's like passive aggressive game of chess. And I should also I should also uh, mention that this woman is not the smallest of women, and she's occupying very much more than the seat has to offer. And our armpits are just touching, like flesh on flesh. And the heat transfer between the armpits is just immediate and substantial. 
And so we sit down, and I'm just like, oh, this, is, this went from super high to really pretty low. This is going to suck. And we go to pull away, and that's when the movie starts. And Ecuador, I don't know if it's famous for this. In my mind, it's famous for this. But um, really intense action movies, like necks breaking, grenades, like, you know, the more bullets and explosions, the better. And this is probably like a Dolph Lundgren or Steven Seagal or some kind of movie starts right up, like full volume, like cranked up to 11. Um, at the same time that all the teenage boys in the bus pull out their phones and start playing the reggaeton, like <laughs> all at the same time, all at different times, or like at the same time, but on different timings. And you just, it's a sensory just onslaught. It's like with the heat and the sweat and changing seats and this is just like overload. I'm like, oh, I'll just settle in, you know, Seven-hour bus ride, but I'll get through it. So we pull away, and I start texting my girlfriend, like, all right, I'm on the bus. This is not going to be a fun bus ride, but I'm on it. I'm like, where are you? She has a little bit less to go to get to Mbato, so I'm thinking she's probably in the station. She probably has a ticket. Hopefully, she's on the bus. And, um, and she's, I get a text back and says, it's a national holiday. And I was like, yeah, I know. That's why we're meeting up. <laughs> like, what, what do you mean? And we're going to the Andes, so cell signal is really spotty. And then another one comes in and says, there's no tickets, and then the cell goes out. And I was like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? <laughs> and we lose signal, and I'm like, well, I've got really no, I'm, for a second I'm thinking, can I just get off and run back? Like, I'm not that far, but I think I'm probably too far to run back with a backpack. So whatever, I'll just go to sleep, and um, I fall asleep, but right before I fall asleep, I remember I'm like, like, trying to make whatever room I can, like whatever nook I can. I remember looking and seeing a passenger gun, because they stop as they're leaving, they're leaving the city and they pick people up. Um, and a little, someone gets on with a little puppy running around. And I thought, that's kind of cute. It's a nice little bit goodbye while I go to sleep. So I go to sleep and I wake up. And the reason why I remember the puppies, because when I wake up, the first thing, there's like the shouting going on, but I wake up and the first thing I see is that my bag is sitting in a huge puddle. And I think, puppy pee, that's, that's a great way to start a vacation with a backpack filled with, filled with clothes that are now soaked in puppy pee. And um, I was like, okay, this, is, this sucks again. <laughs> and, but there's a shouting going on. So I look up, and there's a bunch of shouting going on. And there's a guy with a box. And they're going back and forth. And like more and more people are getting drawn into this discussion. And I'm looking at the guy holding the box. I'm looking at his hands, and then the hands to the box. And the box is wet. And the, 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 the wetness is dripping to the floor. And the, the drip line goes all the way to the puddle, which is now soaking my clothes. I'm like, wait, that's not puppy pee. And all of a sudden, I hear frozen fish. And as soon as he says that, like, everyone on the bus is just as angry as I am. And they're like, what do you mean frozen fish? And he's like, well, if I put it under the bus, it would have gotten stolen. And we're like, that's a good point. But it's frozen fish. You don't take it on the bus. And they're like, you put that underneath right now or you're getting off the bus. So I'm like... Okay, I would have taken puppy pee. Like, I had a puppy at the time, and my stuff was probably already had traces of puppy pee on it. Frozen fish, stewing fish guts for the next seven hours in a super hot, steamy bus ride is just the way worse. Like, as bad as I thought it was, it got way worse. And then the fire breaks out. <laughs> and in just like a firecracker that gets lit, and it's just like, bah, 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 bah. all of a sudden, everyone's just saying, fire, 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 fire. And the whole cabin is just engulfed in smoke and you can't even see out the other window like 
like women are like women are grabbing their children. They're like pawing at their eyes. Everyone's screaming. Like it's pandemonium. People are just crazy. And the bus driver just pops open his window and he's driving out the bus like Ace Ventura, like driving. And I just imagine the people sitting, standing on the street, like walking their little donkeys. And there's just this bus like whoa, flying by. There's just like smoke filling out the window. And like, what do they think is happening in that bus? And why isn't the bus stopping? Like it's on fire. Why is the bus driver not stopping the bus? He says he will get there on time. Um, and so, so, there's, so there's a fire, yeah. And I'm like, is this, like, I don't, I know this is not a safe bus for anymore, but like, are we in danger? Like, is this gonna blow up? Like, there's like gunfire, sound, it sounds like there's gunfire going on. Like, there's a fire everywhere. Finally, people pop the windows open, because God forbid you let some air into the bus. And uh, the smoke clears, and it's kind of refreshing for a second. And, you know, the fire, just as soon as it, it, just as mysteriously and as quickly as it started, it goes out. And it clears, and all the windows go closed again. And I'm like, what are you people thinking? It's like, there's stewing fish in the aisles. There's puppies running. The puppy, the puppy by now is just pissing everywhere. Like, he's, he's having a time of his life. Like, there's fish and fire, and everyone's petting me, and... Um, and it's just like steaming, steaming hot. I mean, we're going through like 11,000 feet with the windows closed. There's like smoke, there's like, it's, just, it's a nightmare. So I go to the bathroom, because in the bathroom, there's the only, there's this tiny little window. I pop open the window and I stick like half my cheek out and then I just sit there and like, what? Like, just don't do anything. I think about when you see those, like those UFC fights, and there's always a guy that wins, and he's standing around, or a girl that wins, and then the, the person on the floor, like, what are they thinking in that moment? They just have nothing. They have nothing. They're just crushed. They've been completely depressed, and they have nothing left to even stand up on. And that was the, that was that bathroom scene. I'm sitting there, like, just taking in some wind, just breathing, and I go back to my seat. And I have a text from my girlfriend, and she said, I just ran into a friend waiting in line at the Mbato bus terminal, and I got one of the last tickets out of the city, and I'm on a bus right now, it's already left, we're on the highway, I'll be in Mbato right about when you were there. I was just, oh, yes. <laughs> like, oh, that, that feels great. <laughs> and so we get to the station, and I see her from afar, She's like, smiling, like, hey. And I walk up, and I mean, what do you say to someone when they've been listening to this story via, you know, intermittent texts? And she says, well, how was your trip? <laughs> oh my God. And I just started laughing. I just broke down laughing. I said, you know, I have never been happier to, to be anywhere with anyone ever. Like, this is the brightest moment of the last two years for sure. And when I think about it, that's a lot like how I think about Peace Corps. That after two years of these experiences where you get mugged and you get malaria and you have to carry water for a mile and a half and bridges get blown up by gorillas and like just, you know, you listen to your favorite music and someone just hates it and for two years you have to just put up with that. Um, but I don't think any of us would ever say that looking back we would ever regret any of that. And I think it's very much those situations, those really, just those really low lows that make the highs all the brighter. And uh, for me, that was, that's all about pressure. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Poshcore podcast. In May, we'll be traveling to Jamaica to document the volunteer experience there. If you get on the Poshcore website, you can find photos for one of the sites we're planning to visit. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates regarding our production in Jamaica. Thanks for listening.